Well, good morning. Question for you. Do you remember the show Lassie? Lassie. All right. So if in the off chance you've never seen Lassie, um, here's the storyline. Every single week of every, every episode, every season, every year, it was boy finds trouble or trouble finds boy. Boy's faithful dog notices and runs to get help. And usually it is in the form of his dad. And then father rescues boy from trouble. Every single episode, every single season, every single year, it was thrilling television. Well, six years ago, Chevy, Chevy Trucks released their version of Lassie with this commercial. Take a look. What? Tommy fell down a well? Tommy's stuck in a cave. Where'd he get a balloon? How'd you get trapped in the belly of a whale? Introducing the new Chevy Silverado HD. I didn't even know this town had a volcano. Motor Trends 2011 Truck of the Year. Great commercial. The first verse of the passage of the psalm we're going to look at this morning, Psalm 46, says this. God is our refuge and strength. And like Lassie, like the truck in the commercial, like the dad in the commercial, it says he is an ever-present help in trouble. Now that's comforting to me, and I'm sure that's comforting to you. But I'm going to be honest with you, and i got to be transparent here for a second. I, deep down, wish that the Bible said something just a little bit different than what it says here. I wish, and I bet you wish, that it said an ever-present help instead of trouble. Instead of trouble. That would be nice, because trouble does something to us, doesn't it? It tires us, it exhausts us, it drains us, and it drains us in so many different ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Every single facet of our being is drained when trouble shows up. And so here's what I do, and here's what I think you do as well. We, we as human beings, we do this. We make this assumption that if I just avoid trouble, then I will finally find peace. And if I just avoid and get around the trouble, then I will no longer be exhausted. And if I can just, just get around trouble, then I will finally find rest. Until five seconds later, and you realize that assumption does not work. Because the truth is, you could lay in bed all day long, and trouble would find a way to find you, wouldn't it? You could lay in bed, and sooner or later, you've got to go to the bathroom, and that is troubling. Okay? You will get hungry, and that is trouble. Sooner or later, there will be a knock at the door, or the phone will go off, and you are going to have to answer trouble at some point. And that's not a Christian thing. That's not an atheist thing. That's just a human being thing. It's part of our experience. It is. And, and regardless of what your stance is on Jesus, whether you believe he existed or not, whether you've opened the Bible or not, whether this is your first Sunday in church or your 10,000th in church, we all can agree on one thing Jesus said. He said, in this world, you will, you will have trouble. Amen? You're like, thanks, Nathan. I only got reminded of that 15 times this week. Or, or maybe the last six months or six years of your life has been one big reminder of that. Or maybe all you needed was five minutes in the middle of this week to be reminded that I have all the trouble that I need in this life. And so I think what happens is there's this cry inside of us. 
for peace and for rest and for relief. There's a cry. And in the same breath that Jesus made this statement, listen to what else he said. He's talking to his followers and he said, look, guys, a day is coming in which you are going to be scattered and you're going to look around at life and it's going to feel like a disaster and you're going to see trouble all over the place. And he said, I've told you these things so that in me, so that in me, you will have peace. And then he says it in this world. You will have trouble. And then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There's one thing I want us to keep in the back of our minds this morning and next Sunday morning. It's simply this, that Jesus brings relief and Jesus brings peace and Jesus brings rest in the trouble, not instead of it. Jesus brings peace in the trouble, not instead of it. And the reason I bring that up is because we're coming down to the end. We've got a few weeks left in this series we're going through called Up. And the whole idea for Up comes out of this episode in the Bible that we look at where God looks at this man named Moses and he says, Moses, you see that mountain in front of you? Go to the top of it. I'm going to meet you there. And so Moses goes to the top of the mountain and he hears from God and he experiences God and he's even refreshed by God, so much so that he goes back down the mountain and the people notice that his face is just radiant, it's glowing, and they can tell there's something, something has happened. Now, in keeping with that analogy, here we are, we live in Colorado, right? And I don't know anybody in here that if you wanted to go climb a mountain, would you'd, you wouldn't wait, or you would wait until the perfect condition showed up. It was the right day, the right weather, the right temperature, the right people, the right food, you wanna take the right route. And those are the days that we like to go up the mountain. Here's the problem. We live in Colorado. And so the perfect conditions don't last long, do they? Not at all. And I have no doubt that every single person in this room probably wants to go up the mountain and experience God and get rest and get relief from God. But how do you do that when conditions aren't perfect? How do you do that when the storms of life are swirling when the, when the fog of trouble is so thick, you can't see through it. Those are hard times to go up the mountain, aren't they? And so for these next couple weeks, I want to look at this question. How do you go up and rest when trouble is your reality? How do you go get rest when trouble is your reality? And that's a question that we're going to answer next week. Next week. Because before we ever land there next week, we've got to see something about ourselves this week. And to do that, I want us to look at Psalm 46. Because as you walk through Psalm 46, we see something. First, we see ourselves. But second, we see something that we do. We see that maybe, just maybe, the thing that's hindering us from going up the mountain isn't what we really think it is. We see that maybe there's a choice we're making every single time trouble shows up. And, and the writer of Psalm 46 is going to walk us through a few situations that we have got to learn to recognize if we want to be able to go up and get that rest. And so, uh, Psalm 46, if you have your Bibles, it'll be up on screen if you don't. But if you have your Bible and you want to find Psalm 46, here's what you do. Hold your Bible out, just eyeball the middle of it, and start flipping left, and you'll be there. Pretty easy to find. Or you can do what I do. It's page 481 in my Bible, all right? Or you have an app, a Bible app, and that's cheating. But hey, if you get there, that's a win, all right? 
Listen to what the writer of Psalm 46 says. We already read verse one, but we'll read it again. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And then verse two, he says, therefore, we will not fear. And then look at this imagery. Though the earth give way. Now think about that for a minute. Though the earth give way. What is more stable? What is more consistent? What is more sturdy than the landscape of the earth? I mean, if, if the earth is shifting, if the landscape, if the surface of the earth is shifting, something major is going on. There's an earthquake. There's a volcanic eruption. There's a mudslide. There's a landslide. There's an avalanche. But it's something major. And the person who wrote the psalm is envisioning a total catastrophe. And then he builds on it. He says, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. Though the mountains fall into the sea. Now, in Hebrew literature, nothing is more immovable, nothing's more stable than a mountain. And so anytime there's imagery of a mountain being shifted or crumbling or moving, something huge is going on. And then he wraps it up, this first part, with this. He's talking about the sea in verse 3. He says, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Into the ancient mind, the ocean represented this deep, dark, unknown mystery that was often associated with death. And what the person who wrote the psalm is seeing here is really the end of the world, the end of life. Now, here's where I think our lives intersect this passage. None of us has seen the end of the world. But you have seen, at some point, the end of something in your world, haven't you? Because we've all had those things in life that seemed so immovable. They seemed so sturdy. They seemed so stable. And yet when they shifted, that changed everything, didn't it? See, the first way that trouble shows up in our lives is that our worlds crumble. Our worlds crumble and we lose control of something. And oftentimes our response is, you, you learned about this in school, it's fight or flight. And oftentimes when we're losing control, we just do this. We try to fight it at first. And once we get tired, well, then there's another response that kicks in. And it's fear. It's fear. We take flight. And yet the person who wrote the psalm also recognized something. That because God is my refuge, because God is with me, even when my world crumbles, even when our worlds crumble, we don't have to get caught up in fear. When trouble shows up, I don't have to be drained. I don't have to be exhausted by fighting it or taking flight from it. When our worlds crumble, we don't have to fear. If you've been around the ocean at all in your life for an extended period of time, and lifeguards near the ocean know this, that once in a while, people will be in the water and trouble will show up. It's something called a riptide or a rip current. And a rip current, what it does is it just pulls and it pulls and it pulls. Everything near the shore, it just pulls out and it wants to pull everything. Now, if you've ever been in the ocean, if you've ever heard of a story of somebody in the ocean, what is the first instinct when that rip current shows up? Where do they try to go? To the shore. And a lifeguard would tell you, an ocean lifeguard would tell you, that is the worst possible thing you could do. Because who's going to win that battle? Body of water, oceans, or your incredible freestyle swim stroke? The ocean's going to win that battle. 
and we will tire ourselves fighting against trouble. When we feel like we're losing control, isn't it interesting how hard we will fight against it? And so an ocean lifeguard, what they tell you to do is there's something better you can do. First thing you can do is the very thing that caused little Nathan Harrison to fail every swim lesson he ever had. It's the, it's the uh, back float. The back float. And every swim lesson. I could never do this. You know, all these other kids were floating, and our teacher would say, Nathan, just, just take a deep breath, fill your lungs with water, and just... Sorry, air. <laughs> no wonder I can't back float. All right. <laughs> okay, fill your lungs with air and just lay back. And every single time, Nathan, straight to the bottom. In fact, one of our daughters had swim lessons, and I saw all these little kids doing the back float. And afterwards, I was like, can you teach me? Because I still can't do this. And no, they couldn't. So... But the other thing a lifeguard will tell you that you can do is not just back float, but swim not to the shore, parallel to the shore. And the whole idea behind this is you're going to let the rip current do what it needs to do. And it will either carry you a few hundred yards down the shore, or it's going to carry you a few hundred yards out to sea. But eventually, the rip current is going to die, and it will dissipate. And if you have spent all that time fighting against it, there's no strength to make that swim back to shore. And so you're better off not using your strength. Just, just let it do its thing. And this is what the psalmist is getting at, the person who wrote the psalm. He's saying, when I lose control, when our worlds crumble, we don't have to get caught up in fear. That's the first situation he shows us. And then he moves on because there's this change of scenery. Look at the next verse. Verse four, he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. Many, many minds, more brilliant than mine, have looked at this passage, and many of them think that he's referring here to Jerusalem, the city of God. And Jerusalem was set high on a hill, and there's very difficult terrain around Jerusalem, and its walls were very thick. And it would have been easy for anybody who lived in Jerusalem to trust in, in those walls anytime trouble showed up. And yet, that's not what the one who writes the psalm puts their trust in. Look at the next verse. God is within her. God is within her. She will not fall. Or some translations, as you see on the screen here, says God is within her. She will not be moved. Now, then he says this thing. He says God will help her at break of day. And you read that and you think, well, why would Jerusalem need help? And again, it's not known specifically when Psalm 46 was written, but many, many, many scholars think that this was written during a time of trouble and attack. And there are a few moments in Scripture where Jerusalem, we find it under attack, but one of the more notable ones is when King Sennacherib, he's king of the Assyrians, he brings his armies against Jerusalem. And he sends this message. And he says, look, the gods of the other nations that we have conquered have not been able to save them. So what makes you think that your God is going to save you? And King Sennacherib, the next day, at the break of day, he discovered just how true this verse is, that God will help his holy city. Because the next morning, when people woke up, 185,000 Assyrian troops had been slaughtered by the angel of the Lord because they came against the holy city of God. Now, this is another situation, isn't it, that we run into. First, when, when our world crumbles, when we lose control, 
we often, we often get set in motion by that, don't we? But the second situation we see here is when we're attacked. When we're attacked, oftentimes we get moved, don't we? And we start to trust in and depend on the walls or maybe the rough terrain or whatever we have going for us. And it gets difficult and, and we start churning and we start moving. And yet the writer of the psalm said, no, because God is with us, I'm not going to trust in anything that I feel like I have going for me. Instead, I'm going to trust in what he says next. The end of verse 6. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In other words, when, when we're attacked... Instead of being drained, instead of being tired, instead of being exhausted in fighting the attack, well, we don't have to be moved. We don't have to get caught up in that. Our, our um, middle child, True, she is six years old now, and she's in this stage of life where there are just a lot of things that just are scary right now. A lot of things scare her. And so the other day, it was like this fly that is just this oversized fly. And it was flying around, and she's like, no, no, get it away, get it away, get it away. And then one morning, she could see in the sunbeams that were shining through the window, there was dust. And she was worried about the dust getting into her lungs. And, and it's just, there was a day that I was dropping her off at school, and there was a goose too close to the parking lot. And, and she was worried that the goose was going to come after her. And, and it was just one thing or the other, the other. And once in a while, she'll get this thing going where she's just going, and so anyhow, that's just the stage we're in right now. But it is amazing how quickly her confidence swings to the other end of the spectrum when dad or mom is with her. A few weeks ago, I decided to surprise her. I showed up at her school and uh, decided to have lunch with her and her classmates in the cafeteria. And so she saw me and got excited, and we're eating lunch in the cafeteria. And you'll be, you'll be glad to know that in elementary schools, a game that we all played as children is still going on. And it's called, My Dad Can Beat Up Your Dad. <laughs> and so true, suddenly with all the confidence in the world, I think told every kid in that cafeteria, my dad can beat up your dad. Here's the problem. One girl's dad was helping out. He was doing security that day. And um, I've met him before. He's an army ranger. And <laughs> his arms are about three of my thighs. And... He has like an entire novel tattooed around his bicep, and uh, it's terrifying. And so True decided to walk up to his daughter when he was right next to her and say, my dad can beat up your dad. And then she followed with this, my dad has seen Karate Kid. <laughs> As if watching Karate Kid makes me a black belt. And I thought, oh my gosh, if this guy comes at me, all I've got is this right here. <laughs> Didn't happen. Luckily, it did not happen. But I think the psalm writer here is getting at something. That when we're attacked, when something comes at us, we don't have to get caught up. We don't have to get caught up in reacting to that. Because our Heavenly Father is with us. Well, the scene changes one more time. One more time. Look at verse 8 now. He says, Come and see 
the works of the Lord. And we're about to get into a situation that I think hits us more than the first two combined. And we struggle more in this situation than the first two combined. Come and see. And some translations say, come and behold the works of the Lord. If I'm being totally honest, I'm not sure I'm very good at beholding, at stepping back and looking at and taking in the works of the Lord. He continues, verse 9. He, makes, he says, come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. So now, this scene is at the end of a battle. The war is over and all is still. And I think, I think that maybe this situation is one that we struggle with more than any other. When things are still, when life is still. Because we don't deal with stillness very well, do we? No, we want to make something happen. And we like progress and we like movement. That's what we want to see. And so here, everything is silent. And then he goes on and he shares what the Lord does. He says, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. In other words, everything that man has depended on, gone. And I don't do very well in that situation. And that situation is when I usually get into trouble. I, I find trouble in that situation. And then, and then the psalm writer shares this verse. He shares this verse that I think gives us a new response, that when all is still, I will do what he says next. Look at verse 10. Be still. Or as Thomas said a few weeks ago, cease striving and know that I am God. See, that's a verse that we put up on walls. We like to use it to soothe us off to sleep and, and take a nap. And I don't think that's what we're getting at here. This is, this is not like, let's play some flowery music in the background. Some people actually think God was saying this to the enemies that would come against them. And he was saying, stop, be still, and know that I am God. Some think he was saying this to his own people, to say, look, you are turning to anything and everything outside of me. Stop. Be still. Quit striving and know that I am God. And look what he follows it up with. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And as I sat there with that passage, I realized that a lot of times when life is still and I start striving, I start moving, I start wanting to make progress, who am I wanting to exalt? Me. A lot of times when life is still, we start striving because we want to exalt ourselves. And God says, when this is all said and done, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. It's a new response. When all is still, I will not strive. Now, Many of you probably saw this video this last week. It went very viral on social media. Um, nighttime is known as a time for things to be peaceful. And nighttime is known as a time for things to be quiet and to be calm. And this video, I think, is proof that our tendency to want to strive, even in the midst of the stillness, is with us from a very early age. Look at this video of two toddlers in their room at night. Their home camera system caught them while they're supposed to be still. Take a look. 
Well, that about sums it up, doesn't it? I mean, we laugh when children do it, but this is us. That video is us. And I think the psalm writer right here is saying, this is a picture of God, a loving father saying, stop it. Stop it. Just stop. He's not lulling them off to a nap. He's saying, stop what you're doing. Because you know what? You're going to tire yourself. You are going to exhaust yourself. You are going to drain yourself. No wonder we have a hard time finding rest. And then, and then he gives us a reminder that if you didn't catch in verse 1, and if we didn't catch it in verse 7, here he says it one more time. Verse 11, he ends the psalm here. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Three different situations. Three different situations he shows us that trouble will use to find us. And if we don't do something different than react, we will drain ourselves. And three times, he gives us the same reminder. Instead of getting caught up in it, instead of reacting to it, you can actually find refuge in it. Because God is your refuge. And God is your strength. And he is with you. You. And if those three reminders aren't enough, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after this psalm was written, there was one more reminder. God sent his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's saying there, right there physically is your refuge. There is your refuge. And here's what I think. I wrote this down on a sticky note. I put it on my desk and I put it on my mirror and I put it on my dashboard because I think I need this reminder after reading this psalm. And it was simply this. Instead of getting caught up, instead of getting caught up in trouble when it shows up, instead of getting caught up, I'm going to hold up. That when I feel the trouble setting me in motion, I'm going to go, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. Normally, I'd act out of fear. Normally, I'd let myself be moved. Normally, I'd start striving, but I'm going to hold up. I'm going to do something different. Now, this really raised a couple questions for me that I think we all should ask ourselves. First question, what's my refuge? What is my refuge? I mean, really, what is my refuge? What's that thing that maybe you've tried it 14 different times and it's failed 14 different ways, but this 15th time, you're thinking, well, maybe this is different. Maybe I'm different. Maybe I'm an exception. What's that thing, what's that decision that you're looking at making? That if somebody were to sit across the table from you, they'd say, no, no, no. That is an exhausting road for you to go down. And you know what you would tell somebody else in your position. But right now, maybe you can't see it. Maybe the fog of trouble is too thick. And you're about to get caught up in a very draining process of reacting to the trouble. And maybe for some of us, the question isn't, what's my refuge? Maybe the question is, who is my refuge? Who's my refuge? Whose strength am I really leaning on? When life gets still, and I want life to just go a little bit faster, a little bit faster, a little quicker progress, a little more movement, God, whose strength is that really about? 
It's a question to consider. Now, it'd be one thing to sit here and rhetorically answer these questions, but I want us to do something different this week. We're going to get to the rest piece next week. But this week, I want us to observe. Because we can all say right now inside our minds what we think our refuge is. You want to know when and where you find out? This week. This week. Here's what I want you to do. Those three situations. When I lose control, when my world's crumbling, when, when I'm attacked, or when life is still. I promise, I promise, I promise, one of those is going to happen at least one time this week. It will happen. But I want you to take a piece of paper. I want you to take a pen or take out your phone and, and you're gonna, you gotta find a way to make a tally. Just make a tally. Because I want us to see just how many times when trouble shows up, we start leaning on all kinds of different things and even ourselves. And every single time you make a tally or maybe you put an emoji in a note every single time it happens, every single time that you make a tally, I want that to be a cue for you to make this statement. Instead of getting caught up, I'm going to hold up. I'm going to stop. And here's what you'll discover. That when, instead of getting caught up, when I can hold up, you know what you discover? He will show up. He will show up. I promise. And you will find, you will find a strength that may not have been there before. And you will discover that that refuge has been there the entire time. And when we can hold up, that paves the way for us to be able to rest up. But that part is next week. So instead of getting caught up, I'm going to hold up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for this psalm, Psalm 46, because it's a reminder we desperately need and it holds the mirror up for all of us, I pray, that we would just see what we really do when trouble shows up. And thank you for the encouragement and the reminder that we don't have to go to the response, no, the reaction that we're so familiar with and we're so used to. We don't have to be caught up in the trouble and acting out of fear. We're acting out of an attack moving us. We're striving when really we need to be still. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, God, with us to be our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in this world full of trouble. We, we ask that you will open our eyes this week, sharpen our minds so that we can see, we can really observe what we're really doing, what's really draining us this week, so that next week we can discover from your word how you want to give us rest. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bowles, thank you so much for coming. We will see you next week.